0: Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew Chapter Twenty One Matthew Twenty One, verses seventeen through twenty two Matthew Twenty One, verses seventeen through twenty two And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. In the morning, as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, May no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. if you have faith. Father, we pray that our prayers would be filled with faith, that you would help our unbelief, O God, that we would pray and believe that you are the rewarder of those who come to you and trust in you, that we would come to you, God, as the one who can do the impossible. Lord, that we would come to you with great petitions, Like, save the whole world. Save every Muslim and Buddhist and Hindu. Every Jew. Every Jehovah's Witness and Mormon and atheist and agnostic. Lord, we pray You would save everyone. That You would bring about a great revival. And Lord, we believe You can do that. For You can raise up stones to be children of Abraham. Father, we pray You would change us, that You would truly make us different, that we would be more sanctified today as, because we've met together and studied Your Word together than when we came, that, that we would be more like Jesus. Father, we pray You would allow us to see conversions and people added to the church daily, those who are being saved. We ask, oh God, You would make our evangelism effective, and that we would see sinners saved. Father, help us rightly understand Your Word. Lord, keep us from being people who have leaves with no fruit. Keep us from being hypocrites. Lord, help us to hear what Jesus says. And I pray, Lord, You'd help me to preach it in the the right tone that Jesus spoke these words. Keep my mouth from error and help us, God, to hear what the Holy Spirit says to only Baptist Church, that you've ordained that we be here in this text this morning before the foundation of the world. And we pray we would hear from you and you would make us all that you want us to be, Lord. For Jesus' sake, amen. amen. Last week we saw that Israel's religion was full of hypocrisy and selfish idolatry. So Jesus comes as true and better and faithful Israel. He is the true Israelite. And He came to clean house. He's the true temple who ushers in the righteous reign of God. He was and is true and undefiled religion incarnate who came to save all nations from their sins. And for Jesus, we saw that judgment starts with the household of God and He cleansed God's temple of sin. He gave grace to all nations. He showed mercy to the weak and needy and accepted the praises of men, the praises that only God should receive as the God-man who comes to save sinners. And I referenced Malachi 3.1, "'Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me.'" And the Lord, and I—I uh, I got a wonderful correction. These are the kind of corrections I love when I when I say something wrong. <laughs> uh, Anthony Butler told me that I, I said at one point, "The Lord there is Yahweh." Um, it's actually Adon, um, but. That Adon means it is Yahweh. He is Yahweh, but it's a different word than uh, the covenant name of God. It's Ha Adon, and that uh, uh, word Ha Adon is used six places in uh, the Old Testament and always means the Lord God. So the Lord Ha Adon, whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple. His temple, that also shows you it's referencing God. The Lord God will come into his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And in your Bibles, you'll notice the difference in Lord, the first Lord and the second Lord. The first Lord is capital L, uh, lowercase o-r-d. That points to the fact that it's not Yahweh. But the last Lord is capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, meaning that is the Name Yahweh, the covenant name of God, and yet both refer to God. And so this passage is saying that God comes into His temple. Jesus is the God-man who comes into the temple to cleanse and refine. Again, this reminds us that Israel's religion was fruitless. Israel was like a fig tree that was not bearing any fruit. Israel had failed to be and do what they were supposed to be and do. They were to be a light to the nations and bear lasting fruit for the glory of God. So Jesus comes as fruitful, faithful Israel. He's the most fruitful tree that ever has been who had to be cursed on a tree so that Israel and all nations might be saved and might be made fruitful for the glory of God. Today in our text, we see Jesus, the God-man, curse the fig tree, giving an illustration of His curse on Israel's ungodliness, sin, and hypocritical religiosity. And Jesus also encourages His disciples to pursue true, genuine, and vital religion through faith and prayer. That was the thesis statement. Jesus, the God-man, Curses the fig tree, giving an illustration of his curse on Israel's ungodliness and sin and hypocritical religiosity. And Jesus encourages his disciples to pursue true, genuine, vital, living religion through faith and prayer. Point number one Jesus is truly man. Jesus is truly man. Look at Matthew 21, 17-18. And leaving them, He went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. In the morning, as He was returning to the city, He became hungry. Jesus needed a place to lodge and sleep, we see in this text. And Jesus got hungry. Jesus got hungry. Jesus is fully and truly man. 1 Timothy two five. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. He is the man. Jesus is. Jesus got hungry. Jesus got tired. Jesus slept. Jesus had to have his diaper changed when he was a baby. Jesus was tempted. Jesus was truly a man with flesh and blood like we are, he had two natures. Right, uh, Akave. What is the what is the second big word I taught you? It starts with an H. Well, hypostatic, union. hypostatic union. What is that, Akave? Uh, so Amen. Amen. Fathers and mothers, are you teaching your children what hypostatic union is? There's no salvation without it. There's no salvation without it. The human nature and the divine nature join in one person, Jesus Christ, the hypostatic union. He's both God and man. So when you hear people like Creflo Dollar said... Well, Jesus wasn't God when He was on earth because He was asleep in a boat. And the Bible says God never sleeps nor slumbers. So how can Jesus be God when the Bible says Jesus, God never sleeps nor slumbers, but there's Jesus asleep? Well, you just go ask Akave, Mr. Creflo Dollar. Because Jesus is both God and man. And so, with respect to His human nature, He sleeps. With respect to His divine nature, He holds the world by the word of His power. That's our God. There's mystery. But Jesus is truly man. Point number two, Jesus is truly God. Look at verse 19. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, He went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And He said to it, May no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. Jesus speaks to fig trees and they wither immediately. You ever tried that? Bush. Wither Doesn't work for us. No. human beings can't speak things into existence. God does that. Jesus speaks and things happen. Jesus speaks to wind and waves, and they are immediately still. Jesus is truly God. Reminds me of the hymn, Be still, my soul, thy God doth undertake to guide the future as He has the past. Thy hope, thy confidence, let nothing shake. All now mysterious shall be bright at last. Be still, my soul, the waves and winds still know His voice who ruled them while He dwelt below. And beloved, who cursed fig trees in the Old Testament? And they withered. God Almighty. The Lord God found no figs on the fig tree and punished in Jeremiah 8:12 through13. Were they ashamed when they committed abomination? Israel's no different back then than they were in Jesus' day, committing abominations. No, they were not at all ashamed. They did not know how to blush. Therefore they shall fall among the fallen when I punish them. They shall be overthrown, says the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh, when I would gather them, declares the Lord. There are no grapes on the vine, no figs on the fig tree. Even the leaves are withered, and what I gave them has passed away from them. So Jesus comes, He's hungry, He finds no figs on the fig tree. Yahweh came to a fig tree representing Israel and found no figs on the fig tree. And later we'll see Yahweh also cause the fig tree to wither. Jesus is truly God. Point number three, Jesus curses the fig tree. Look again at verse 19. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, He went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And He said to it, May no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. "'Figs and fig trees are a picture or representation of Israel "'and Israel's blessing and cursing as a nation.'" And you might want to turn with me to these passages to look and see them for yourselves or you can pull up on your phone the email that I sent out and you can pull everything up right there on your phone. Every scripture I I quote will be there unless the Spirit leads me to quote other scriptures that I don't know yet. Uh, But for what I've planned, it's all there right in the manuscript. You can read it right there. So just pull that up on your phone or print it out the night before and bring it with you. Or you can turn now to Hosea 9.10. Figs and fig trees are a picture or representation of Israel and Israel's blessing and cursing as a nation. Hosea 9.10, Like grapes in the wilderness, I found Israel. Like the first fruit on the fig tree in the first season, I saw your fathers. And Jesus in Luke 13 actually uses a fig tree again to picture Israel. Then He told this parable, Luke thirteen six through 9 a man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I have uh, been coming to look for fruit on the fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down." And so Jesus pointing to the mercy that God is having on Israel because of their fruitlessness and yet the mercy is going to come to an end for them if they don't repent and believe the Gospel. The fig tree pointed to blessing of God's people. First Kings 4.25 During Solomon's lifetime, Judah and Israel from Dan to Beersheba lived in safety. Each man under his own vine and fig tree it was a picture of blessing for God's people when there was safety, when all the enemies had been defeated. And it's also been used as a picture of cursing on God's people. Remember I told you it was God who curses the fig tree in the Old Testament. Hosea 2, 10-13. through 13. You might want to turn there to see it. Hosea 2, 10-13. through 13. Hosea 2, 10-13. So now I will expose her lewdness before the eyes of her lovers. No one will take her out of my hands. I will stop all her celebrations, her yearly festivals, her new moons, her Sabbath days, all her appointed feasts. I will ruin her vines and her fig trees. Ah, oh, Yahweh will ruin her fig trees, which she said were her pay from her lovers. I will make them a thicket and wild animals will devour them. I will punish her for the days she burned incense to the bales. She decked herself with rings and jewelry and went after her lovers, but she forgot me, declares the Lord. Israel was not bearing fruit. Israel was not bearing fruit. So Jesus comes to this fig tree that that represents Israel, God's people, and finds no fruit. We see that Israel is not bearing fruit all over the Old Testament. All over the Old Testament. Israel was stubborn and rebellious people. God rescued them in the exodus with a great uh, victory and a, a great redemption. And they're given God's law. And yet, on her wedding night, on her honeymoon, she committed adultery and went after other gods. And over and over and over again, we see this Israel turning away from the one true God and committing idolatry. And the Bible uses very shocking language for this. In the Prophets, it says that she played the whore. She was to be faithful to God. But over and over again, she was unfaithful and sinned against God. And then when Jesus comes, when the Messiah comes, she rejects Christ. Rejects the Messiah. And so we see all over the New Testament, God's people, Israel, are unfaithful. Jesus said of them in Matthew fifteen eight: "...This people honors Me with their lips, but their hearts are far from Me." They go through the motions of worship. They sing, they pray, they read Scripture, their lips are moving with, with things about God, and yet their hearts are far from God. And Jesus warned in Matthew 7, Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will be rec- you will recognize them by their fruits. Beloved, be reminded there are two ways to run from God. One way is obvious rebelliousness and sin. Obvious rebellion and sin. So we can run from God uh, through uh, those works of the flesh that I mentioned uh, that, that you're familiar with. Sexual morality. We run from God through pornography, lust, lying, cheating, stealing, sex outside of the marriage covenant, uh, prodigal living like that. You can run from God that way. But you can also run from God with not so obvious rebellious sin. Namely, false religion. Again, let me remind you, I love the word religion. Uh, I hope no one at Alney Baptist Church will ever say Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. I want you to be better trained than that. That's not true. Christianity is a religion and a relationship. It's both and, not either or. Religion means to be bound to God. To be close to God. To to live according to God's commandments. Jesus loves religion. He loves pure and true and undefiled religion. James one twenty seven, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. I mean, Tim Keller is very good on helping us see this, that you can run from God in those two ways. You can run from God with licentious, rebellious, open sin and you can run from God uh, with something that's more hidden and religiosity. And so you're in church and you're saying the sayings and going through the motions and yet your heart is far from God. This is why Jesus curses the fig tree. They were thought to be righteous. They looked outwardly righteous. They were in some sense the standard of righteousness. That's why in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus said, your your righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees and People would be blown away by that because they were viewed as the standard of righteousness. But they did not know God. Friend, if you're here this morning, you need to hear this. Maybe you're here this morning and you're running from God in one of those two ways. You're you're running from God in open rebellion. You know. You you know that you're not living right. You know that you're disobeying mom and dad. You know that that you're doing things that... uh, Uh, are wrong in God's sight in rebellion with your sexuality with your time with your stealing and cheating and lying you know that and you're running from God in that rebellion or you're like me which I often bring up (laughs) you're like me and you're here every Sunday you even come when your parents don't because you should be in church that's how I was as a kid I ain't missing you be in church I was a good little Pharisee. And I came and I was there and felt good. Look at me. I'm always in church. And my heart was far from God. Far from God. Because I would come, but I was thinking about what I was going to do afterwards. My mind was, I can't wait till this is over. <laughs> I'm ready to do something else. My, my heart was not for God. In love with God. Delighting in God. I was delighting in all these other things. Delighting in being a fighter pilot. Delighting in being a pro football player. Delighting in, in, in sports like football and baseball and things like that. My heart was captured by those things, not Jesus. Friend, you know what your heart's captured by. Actually, maybe you don't. Ask God to show you. Who has your heart? Who has rule and reign over your heart? What do you love more than anything else? What do you delight in more than anything else? That's your God. And the Bible says we're all born delighting in something else besides God. The Bible teaches we're all born hating God and delighting in all these other things the world is quick to give us to make us happy. And so we delight in sin and entertainment sports and sex and drugs and all these other things. And we're enslaved to that. We're slaves to it. And because of that, God is angry because He's holy and good and righteous. And and He will cast every sinner into hell forever for their sin. But God loves sinners. He loves slaves to sin. He loves homosexuals and lesbians and transgender people. He loves fornicators and adulterers. He loves those who have had had sex outside of marriage. He loves failures and and rebels. He loves Hamas terrorists. He loved Paul, a Jewish terrorist, going around killing Christians. And so he sent his son Jesus into the world. To live a perfect life. The God-man Jew. I love this article that Samuel Say wrote this week just reminding us that Jesus' heritage is Jewish. Jesus was a Jew. He, he, he had apostles who were Jewish. He, he, he died a Jew. He rose a Jew. He will return as a Jew. And every nation will someday bow willingly or unwillingly to the Jew-man Jesus. if you hate Jews, you hate Jesus. Jesus came to save Jews and Muslims and Palestinians and sinners in Alni and sinners from every tribe and tongue and nation. Jesus died on that cross where He suffered the curse and wrath and judgment of God. And He bled and died and on the third day He rose from the dead. So that anyone who turns from their sin and believes on Jesus can be saved. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth on Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Friend, if you're here this morning and you've not believed on Jesus, I urge you, He's coming back. Get ready. Trust Him. Trust Him today. Believe on Him today. Get right with God. Today is the day of salvation. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. You can simply receive Christ by faith alone and turn from your sins and He will count you righteous. He will adopt you into His family. He will forgive all your sins. He'll dwell in you and adopt you into His family. Please believe on Him. However you're running from God, whether it's open licentiousness or religiosity and hypocrisy, turn from it all and trust in Jesus. I will be here afterwards. I would love to speak with you and pray with you. If you have not yet trusted Jesus, we want you to leave here saved. This fig tree that Jesus curses was leafy when it wasn't in the season for figs. Mark's Gospel tells us that. So, so there were leaves on this fig tree, and yet there was no fruit. And, and if there are leaves on a fig tree, there should be fruit. They go together. If the tree had leaves, it should also have fruit, but it didn't. And so it was like a false advertisement. The tree appeared on the outside to have fruit because it was showing leaves, but there was no fruit just like the hypocrisy of Israel. Just like the hypocrisy of the Pharisees who outwardly were clean, but inside were dead men's bones. D.A. Carson comments that it was not the season for figs explains why Jesus went to this particular tree which stood out because it was in leaf. Its leaves advertised that it was bearing fruit, but the advertisement was false. Jesus, unable to satisfy His hunger, saw an opportunity to teach a memorable object lesson and cursed the tree, not because it was not bearing fruit, whether in season or out, but because it made a show of life that promised fruit, yet was bearing no fruit. What is the significance of Jesus cursing the fig tree? Jesus is cursing the hypocritical lives of much of Israel. Jesus is cursing the hypocritical lives of much of the people of Israel. John MacArthur even says the the temple cleansing was Jesus, in a sense, cursing the hypocrisy and His cursing the fig tree was cursing the nation of Israel itself. The nation is cursed. to never bear fruit again. And the temple and everything would be destroyed in 70 A.D. David Platt comments on this. The cleansing of the temple and the cursing of the fig tree are closely related. In fact, Mark brackets the story of the temple cleansing with references to the fig tree to make the same point. Jesus was commenting on the religious life and worship of God's people, particularly Israel's leadership. They had leaves, so to speak, on the outside, but on the inside there was no real fruit. There was a lot of man-centered religious activity completely devoid of God-centered spiritual productivity. These spiritually dead individuals claimed to worship God in the temple, all the while rejecting Jesus, who is God in the flesh, the new and greater temple. Jesus had no tolerance for such hollow worship and hypocritical religion. Greg Bill comments, the fig tree without fruit symbolizes Israel's spiritual destitution and the withering indicated the temple and nation's rejection and judgment by God. And so Jesus comes and cleanses the temple and condemns Israel's false religion and He comes and curses the fig tree condemning Israel's false religion and cursing the nation of Israel. Beloved, we should be careful not to be a people who have leaves without fruit do you ever give the appearance of being religious but on the inside there is no fruit of true heart religion that is trusting god and loving him and loving others james exhorts us in james 1:22 be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves J.C. Ryle warns, where are the once famous churches of Ephesus and Sardis and Carthage and Hippo? They're all gone. They had leaves but no fruit. Let us remember this. Let us beware of church pride. Let us not be high-minded but fear. Open sin and avowed unbelief no doubt slay their thousands. But profession of Christ without practice slays its tens of thousands. And so I thought of some questions to ask us as a church to challenge us on this. Are are we bearing fruit? Do we have heart religion? When was the last time that you grieved over your sin and asked God to forgive you and change you? Christians have tender hearts towards sin. (laughs) Michael even came up before the service and asked me to forgive him because he went late on Sunday school. (laughs) I forgive you, Michael, but I don't think it was a sin. was broken, by the way. Christians have tender hearts that grieve over their sin. Even what some might think is the tiniest offense, the true believer grieves over sin and is broken over sin and longs to be free from sin and asks God, change me, Lord, deliver me. When is the last time you loved a non-Christian enough to tell them the gospel of Jesus Christ Tr- true believers and 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 believe I don't want to say true believers cuz that's probably a little too you know believers who are who are growing in Christ and sensitive to the spirit uh, they 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 are aware of 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 the amazing grace of God toward and And realize how much God has done to save them and loves them and and so they they can't help but want to share it with others because they, they they realize they they should be in hell, and yet God saved them, and it was nothing they did but all of His grace, and so they're compelled to tell other people that they might be saved as well when Is the last time you loved a non-Christian enough to tell them the Gospel of Jesus Christ that, that God saved you with? When is the last time you loved one of your fellow Christians enough to seek to help them grow in Christ by meeting with them and praying with them and encouraging them toward love and good deeds? Children, children, do you seek to do what you know is right because you want to please God? Or merely because you know you better do what's right or else you'll get in trouble with mom and dad. That that, that is a huge difference for me as a teenager. I would do what's right because oftentimes I knew I would get in trouble if I didn't. But when you're born again, you, you begin to want to please the Lord. Your parents might not even know or see what you're doing. But God does. And you want to please Him even more than you want to please your parents. And part of pleasing God is honoring and obeying your parents. And you begin to long to do that to please the Lord because He's given you a new heart. Not because you're afraid of getting grounded or losing TV privileges or losing uh, 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 the pain-freeness of your rear end. Are you living... Out the works of the flesh are the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 19-23 Now the works of the flesh are evidence sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Is your heart in your religion and is your religion in your heart? Beloved, we, we want to have hearts for God. Not just going through religious motions. Psalm 42, 1-2, through two, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for You, O oh God. Does your soul ever pant for God? My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Charles Spurgeon said, O professor, how base you are to call yourself a blood-bought child of God, yet you still live for yourself. How dare you, O barren tree, professing to be watered, By the bloody sweat and dig by the griefs and woes of the wounded Savior, how dare you bring forth leaves and no fruit? Oh, sacrilegious mockery of a hungry Savior! Oh, blasphemous tantalizing of a hungry Lord! That you should profess to have cost Him all this, and yet yield Him nothing. When I think that Jesus hungers after fruit in me, it stirs me up to do more for Him. Does it have the same effect on you? He hungers for your good works. He hungers to see you useful. Jesus, the King of kings, hungers after your prayers, hungers after your anxieties for the souls of the lost, and nothing ever will satisfy Him for the travail of His soul, but seeing you wholly devoted to His cause. Oh beloved, may God work that kind of desire in us that Spurgeon expressed there. That we would bear fruit for God and and grow in bearing fruit. Point four, Jesus promises his disciples that they will follow in his steps by faith in him through prayer. Jesus promises his disciples that they will follow in his steps by faith in him and through prayer. Look at verses 20-22. through When the disciples saw it, they saw the fig tree immediately wither, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Jesus calls for true, vital, living religion by encouraging His disciples to have faith and to pray. And we, we, we talked about this promise, this amazing promise Jesus gives about casting mountains into the sea. We spoke about this in March of 2023 when we were in Matthew 17. And, and we're going to review that again. What, is, what does this mean that if you have faith, you can speak to mountains and have them move into the sea? Well, first, number one, this promise isn't about rearranging uh, uh, the Alps or, or the Shenandoah Mountains. Who in the Bible actually literally moved mountains? Well, God, when He created the world... This promise isn't about naming and claiming every carnal worldly desire that every other worldly pagan desires. The uh, the health and wealth preachers have a ball with this verse. Anything you want, you want that new BMW, that new Mercedes, that new this or that, you just name it with faith and you'll have it because you can move mountains, People. And so let me appeal to every carnal, selfish, love of money desire that you have and say if you pray to Jesus, He'll give you your carnal, wicked, selfish, love of money desires. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. That's not Jesus. Herman Ritterboss comments, it is not the task of faith, literally to move mountains, it is irrelevant. Jesus was not speaking of the task of faith But of its power. This power is unlimited because it is based on God's omnipotence. So it it doesn't mean doing signs and wonders that have nothing to do with God's mission. It doesn't mean that you can satisfy your carnal appetites for the love of money, which Jesus says you cannot love God in money. This was the problem of the Pharisees, they loved money and not Jesus. What does it mean? What does this mean? This promise about mountain-moving faith is about trusting God so that nothing that Jesus has called you to do or given you the authority to do will be impossible for you to do by faith. By faith, we are empowered to walk in all the will of God, to trust Him, to obey Him, to bear fruit for Him, to win the lost for Him, to make disciples of all nations for Him. That sin, for example, that you think you cannot overcome, that that that, that 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 hinders you week after week and month after month and year after year, Jesus is saying, "Pray in faith, and God will deliver you." You have the power not to sin in Christ. You can say no to that. This is a promise. That God will help you, bear fruit for Him, obey Him, live for Him, trust Him. Do be on the mission that Jesus gave us in the Great Commission to make disciples of all nations. God will empower us to do that. This promises that Christ, that in Christ by faith, you can overcome any and all difficulties, obstacles, pains, hardships and sufferings, even ones that seem impossible to you, so that you might walk in the good, pleasing and perfect will of God. God will empower you to trust Him. He'll provide all that you need to follow Him and trust and obey Him. D.A. Carson comments, removal of mountains was a proverbial phrase for overcoming great difficulties. Mountain moving is, is proverbial for accomplishing something difficult that seems impossible. So, so you might hear people say, you're going to have to move a mountain to get that job. It's a proverb of saying, this is going to be really, really hard. You have to move mountains to get into that school. The Phillies are going to have to move mountains to win the World Series. It's going to be really hard. It's proverbial. The Bible uses it this way. Psalm 46, 1-2. through two, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way and though the mountains be moved in the heart of the sea. In other words, no matter what comes, what tragedy, what loss, what pain, what, whatever happens, God is there. He will help us. He will be there. Isaiah 54.10, The mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you. This is how Paul uses it in 1 Corinthians 13.2, And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am Nothing. It, it's, it's a way of, of, of Jesus saying no matter what you face in life, no matter how utterly impossible it seems, if you trust Me, if you have faith and you pray, He will hold you fast. He will hold you fast. You will overcome. You will be more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. Mountain moving faith empowers you to obey the difficult commands of God. Listen to Tom Schreiner on this. The question remains, what is mountain-moving faith? And he's referring to a passage in Luke's Gospel where Jesus said if you have faith even as a grain of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. Notice what Jesus says in Luke. Those who have faith like a mustard seed do great things. They have the faith to forgive brothers and sisters who sin against them repeatedly. Is there someone in your life whom you you say, I can't forgive that. I will not forgive that. I cannot forgive that. Jesus says you can if you have faith and you pray. You can move that mountain and forgive and not be bitter anymore. The illustration Jesus provides, then, is enormously helpful. We know it's God's will that we forgive those who sin against us. Yet when we're faced with actually forgiving them, we often struggle because the pain is so severe. Mustard seed faith, then, is faith that kills, works of the flesh, and produces the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, and patience are mountains that can only be climbed by faith. Faith, after all, expresses itself in love. Mustard seed faith believes the gospel will go to the ends of the earth and triumph over the gates of hell. And the clearest evidence of mustard seed faith is whether you love God and your neighbor. Our greatest enemies are not outside of us, but within. Our greatest foe is the hate and rebellion that overtakes us. And mustard seed faith, because it is placed in Jesus Christ, gives us the victory over our sin. Yet we are freed from the sin that enslaves when we rely on Christ and not our own strength and works. Mustard seed faith is enormously powerful, not because of our faith, but because it unites us to the God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Mountain moving faith empowers us to be more than conquerors and more than conquer great suffering and keep clinging tightly to Jesus. By faith in God, we more than conquer in hard marriages. By faith in God, we more than conquer the, of love, the loss of loved ones. By faith in God, we more than conquer loneliness. By faith in God, we more than conquer terrible past church experiences. By faith in God, we more than conquer having disabilities or living with children who have sickness and disabilities. By faith in God, we more than conquer all pain and suffering and hardship and loss. Christians live by faith. I mean, think about all the saints who've gone before us, beloved, who live by faith. Read the the, the Hall of Heroes in, in 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 Hebrews eleven. By faith they conquered. By faith they received their children back from the dead. By faith they conquered kingdoms. By faith they trusted God, even though some were sawn in two and suffered great hardship and difficulty. By faith Abraham was counted righteous. By faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. Christians live by faith. We conquer by faith. We trust God by faith. We live by faith. Mountain moving faith is true and living and active faith in Jesus Christ. We must have knowledge of Him. We must know the truths about Jesus. We must believe that they're true and, and facts of history. And we must trust in Jesus. We must rely wholly and fully on Christ. And mountain-moving faith may point to the casting away of religious hypocrisy and Old Covenant worship. So there are some pastors and commentators who understand Jesus to be uh, actually speaking of, of the Temple Mount. That He's there on the Mount of Olives. He's there with His disciples and they can see while He's teaching. They can see the Temple Mount. And Jesus is actually saying, if you have faith, that hypocrisy I just cleansed from, that, that, that hypocrisy I just cursed in the fig tree, you can say to that, that temple mount, be picked up and moved into the sea and all that religious hypocrisy you do away with and drown it. And that temple, it's going to be destroyed. The old covenant is passing away. The sacrifices are over. I'm the sacrifice, Jesus says. Jesus is the true and better temple. Jesus is the true and better sacrifice. Jesus is the true and better religion. Because Old Covenant religion couldn't take away sin. Old Covenant religion couldn't change the heart. Jesus had to come. And so that will all be picked up and cast into the sea. If you have faith and pray, that will happen for you, disciples. You're going to be the ones that usher in the new covenant. After I die and rise again, you're going to be the ones that the Spirit falls on Pentecost and you're going to preach and 3,000 people come to Christ. If you have faith and if you pray. Jesus calls for true and vital and living religion not only by faith, but by encouraging His disciples to pray. Verse 22, whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. One commentator comments, Jesus is saying that the believer who looks to God for anything at all in the path of Christian service can be confident of an answer to prayer you will receive. Beloved, this is a great encouragement from Jesus to pray. To pray about what He's doing in your life. To pray about the will of God. To pray the Bible. That He will hear and answer. And what better prayers can you pray than praying God's Word back to Him? Again, this is, not a, 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 this is not an invitation to pray for all the things that pagan, worldly, godless people want. More stuff, more junk, more cars, more houses, more clothes, more jewelry, more stuff that has nothing to do with the kingdom of God or sinners being saved with the glory of King Jesus. This is not an invitation for us to pray for that, those, those trinkets. It's an invitation to pray to be on mission with what God's doing in the world. That's the context of these these sayings that Jesus gives to pray for whatever you want. For instance, in John 14, 15, 16. John 14, whatever you ask in my name, whatever you ask in my name, which means aligned with my purpose, my calling, my authority, in Jesus' name, I will do why? That the Father may be glorified in the Son. Yes. We're praying prayers that glorify God the Father. Praying for things in our lives that glorify God. Not that heap up our comforts after comforts after comforts after comforts when 16,000 children starve to death every single day in this world. Come on, God doesn't prosper us to make us more comfortable. He prospers us to give away more and store up treasures in heaven. I pray we'd get that. It's it's better to give than to receive. You believe that? It's better. It's more blessed to give than to receive. We believe that? Pray for that. Pray that we would get that. Pray that we would be about Jesus' mission in the world. Pray. it, 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 It will take a mountain moving. It will take mountains to move to free Americans from this lifestyle stuff. It will take a mountain to be moved. Because we live it. Our whole lives we've lived it. It's it's like fish in a fishbowl. It's just the water that we live in. Pray that God would free us. It will take a mountain to move it. 1 John 5, 14-15 This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to His will. According to His will. According to His will. Anything according to His will. He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of Him. Beloved, this is an encouragement to pray. Pray for what God's doing in the world. Pray for the salvation of souls. Pray for opportunities to share the Gospel. Pray that God would do great things in our lives, uh, sanctifying us and making us more like Jesus and using us to, to, to preach the truth to a lost and dying world. Have faith. Pray. That's true and vital religion. And and point number five, the the, the last point here, uh, Jesus is the most fruitful tree who was cursed on the tree. Do you remember another time and place in biblical history where there were fig leaves but no fruit? Go back to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 and 7. Remember, Adam and Eve were warned that you could eat from all of the trees of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. And they broke that command and they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Do you remember what they covered themselves with? Fig leaves without fruit. And even then, God slaughtered an animal and covered them with animal skins, providing for them, loving them, being patient with them, pointing to the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. Beloved, Jesus is the true and better Adam who didn't hide behind fig leaves, but came as the fruit of the world. Jesus is the tree of life who died on the tree of death on that cross so that we might be saved. Jesus is the true and greater Israel. He's the most glorious, beautiful, bountiful, fruitful fig tree that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. Jesus is the true and better religion. He's the purest religion incarnate. He was bound to God like no other and He alone can bind us back to God through His death and resurrection. He is the One who perfectly lived out Psalm 1, 1-4. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. And yet He came to save the wicked. He came to save wicked sinners like you and me. And like the fig tree was cursed, Jesus was cursed. Because He took all that hypocrisy, all that sin, all that false religion, He, he, he took that upon Himself on the cross and His Father cursed Him like Jesus cursed the fig tree. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Beloved, Jesus did that for you because He loves you. Because He loves you. What love! What amazing love! And when you believe in Him and trust in Him and receive that love, He will satisfy your soul. So much that you can let good and kindred go. This mortal life also. The body they may kill. His truth, He remains still. When you know the love of God in Christ, you can give it all away in joy for that pearl of great price. It's everything to you. Christ is everything to you. And you'll be able to say like Habakkuk in 3, Habakkuk 3.17 and 18. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Jesus, the God-man, curses the fig tree giving an illustration of His curse on Israel's ungodliness, sin, and hypocrisy. And He encourages His disciples to pursue true, genuine, and vital religion through faith and prayer. And praise God He didn't stay dead, but He rose up from the dead so that we know all this is true. Jesus cursed the barren tree and finally came to set us free. For He's the fruit. Come, taste and see. Jesus got hungry. He wanted to eat. He had a heart with rhythmic beat. He is a man with hands and feet. And yet He's more than man we meet. He's God and man, both full, complete. He is Yahweh on the street. He sits as God on judgment seat. He reigns forevermore elite. He came and wanted figs so sweet. Instead, He found a tree deplete like Israel, the chaff, not wheat. She's dead and dying, sad defeat, her sins so often on repeat, so her great pride Christ will delete, for He's true Israel complete. And yet the Christ they would mistreat, they spit on Him, His back they beat, nailed to the cross, His hands and feet, and there He died under God's heat, but rose alive, the grave defeat, and now He never will retreat, but bear much fruit, the sweetest sweet. So trust in Him, your doubt unseat. He'll make your sins all obsolete. And as your cry, you will repeat, My Christ is all, I am complete. Do you have leaves, but bear no fruit? Bless God in praise just for the loot. Your praises, God will finally mute, and you'll be cursed down to the root. But praise our Christ, He's in pursuit to save from loves that you pollute and grant you Him the greatest fruit who died as cursed to you impute His righteousness just like a suit. You put Him on. Your sins are moot. He rose. Death to condemn, refute. So now toward Him you may pursuit. Delight in Him. You'll bear much fruit. Jesus was the curse upon that tree. Though He's the most fruitful you could be, He's made a curse for you and me. He is true Israel the key to true religion, love that's free. Our glorious God, the one in three, He bids you come from your sin flee. Trust the Son. He'll set you free and cast your sins into the sea. The Lord is good. Come taste and see. Christ Jesus grows the greatest fruit His perfect holiness salute He loves and serves and saves to boot. There's no one like Him, no dispute. From Alni, Gaza to Beirut, sin does and has and will pollute like Israel who bore no fruit and acted like a prostitute. Christ curses all from head to root, but He will save and death refute, for on a tree He's cursed and mute. He bore God's wrath like sinner brute. He died our lamb and substitute. Then rose alive the grave to loot of all His loved ones' hot pursuit. His righteousness He does impute by faith alone. We're just en route to pray to Him and mounts uproot, for He's our all, the greatest fruit. Father, we pray that we would see Jesus for who He is. And as we look to him, who was cursed on that tree, who saves us from having to try to hide from God by sewing fig leaves together and bearing no fruit, that we we can we can be naked before God and confess our sins and come into the light and tell God the truth, knowing that we'll be covered. By the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll be clothed in rich robes of righteousness. That all of our sins will be forgiven. Lord, we thank you that you love us so much. That you sent Jesus to to do all of this for us. To speak like no man ever spoke. To curse the fig tree and teach us and warn us about hypocrisy. That you love us so much that you warn us in this way. That you give us the words of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father we do pray that by your spirit you would search our hearts this morning that you would show us our sin that you would move mountains and free us lord free us from sin make us make us people who would look crazy in the eyes of the world because we're so so Christ centered and Christ loving that 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 we 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 can we can we can believe what Paul said that if if only in this life we have hope in Christ we are all people most to be pitied. Lord, help us be faithful. Help us be satisfied in Jesus. Help us bear fruit, Lord. We pray that we would bear all the fruit you want us to bear. Lord, what would you have us do? What would you have me do? Where would you have me go? What would you have me give up? What would you have me sacrifice, Lord? Show me. Lead us, God. Lead us to be all that you want us to be, to bear all the freak you want us to bear. Give us hearts near to you, God, in love with you, head over heels in love with Jesus. Make us Jesus freaks. Make us Jesus people. We pray. For Jesus Christ, we ask it. And in his name, amen.